Hey friends, it's Gilly Sowers. Welcome back to Keeping It Real. I'm sorry it's been a while since my last episode and I could give you a million reasons as to why I have not yet recorded and released this chapter of my journey. But ultimately, I think it just comes down to procrastination. <laughs> I wanted to take some time to get my thoughts straight, to find my words, to weigh the pros and cons in sharing this chapter. But as in all things, I am an open book. I'm going to take you on a journey today. As I look outside my window on this cold, rainy afternoon in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm going to transport us back about two and a half years to the gorgeous tropical paradise of St. Thomas in the United States Virgin Islands. This is quite a journey, quite a roller coaster ride. This chapter entails my awakening my journey of self-discovery and exploration, and ultimately my undoing. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get it all in in one episode or if it's going to take two because it's quite a chapter. And a lot of it falls under the heading of, man, you just can't make this shit up. <laughs> but you know, it's probably also the most enticing chapter. Um, I'm going to keep it real with you and I'm going to tell you all the things and in some of it I don't look very good there are parts of this story where I am the villain and I own that so I hope you enjoy this chapter so in August of 2020 I was contacted by a friend to see if I would have any interest in going on a COVID deployment to the Virgin Islands. You may remember from my last episode that I was uh, working in a nursing home locally. We had just fled the reservation in Arizona and gone back home when my husband got COVID. There were no ER jobs to be found anywhere. Everything was shut down. I was helping out at the nursing home. I was losing my mind. And so when I was contacted by this friend, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. The money was good. Who doesn't want to go to a tropical paradise, right? So I said, heck yeah. And so this was on a Thursday, and on Monday I was on a flight. And I had no idea what the future would hold for me. I have some regrets but ultimately everything happens for a reason so this was a fema and united states department of health deployment uh, it was a covid deployment there on the island um, we were there for community health to help out at the hospital um, the Virgin Islands got hit really hard by two Category 5 hurricanes in 2017, and they just had not recovered. And um, under normal circumstances, they needed the government's help to provide health care. But they, um, they were also 
getting hit hard by COVID. And although the numbers there were nothing compared to the the mainland, of course, they just had no resources. So anyway, uh, I arrived on the island in the middle of August in 2020. And oh my God, what a beautiful tropical paradise. Gorgeous beaches that you would see on calendars. Um, luxury villas. When we first got to the island, it was closed to tourism, of course. Everything was shut down. We had to have letters from the government to get in. Um, so all of these amazing, beautiful vacation villas that were normally rented by tourists were un unrented. You know, they they had no there were no tourists there um, <coughs> to provide the economy. But our company came in on this FEMA deployment and needed housing for the nurses and the paramedics and the respiratory therapists and whatever else that we had provided there. And that's where they put us, in these beautiful vacation homes. Um, many of them right on the, the beach. Many of them had pools. Um, we were provided vehicles to drive. We were given money for food and other incidentals. And, and we got a great income. And in those early days especially, what well, it was like our own private island and our playground. Um, as I said, there were no tourists bringing the economy, uh, bringing in the money to the island. And so in some ways, we were the life of the island in those early days. Uh, the restaurants depended on us. Um, and, and those rentals. And, you know, the government paid top money for these places. You know, I, I know of people who would move out of their own homes to rent them to rent them to FEMA for us. So um, we did have a company uh, that we worked through. It was an amazing company. I'm just choosing to leave names out here because I don't want to cross any um, bridges or or uh, name anybody that may not want to be named in the context of this. Um, podcast. So anyway, I had no complaints at all. We were treated very well. So because it was a COVID deployment uh, and not a traditional travel nurse contract, we were in shared housing and that was a new experience for me. Um, they would group however many of us in these homes. Most of us had private bathrooms, private bedrooms, but we shared a common space. And it opened up a whole new dynamic that I had never seen as a travel nurse because I usually just had my own private space. Um, you know, shared housing can be good and bad, and I had a few roommates over my time on the island that I wasn't exactly crazy about. But for the most part, especially in those early days, what it created for me was my island family. Um... I think when I got on island, there were only like 20-some of us, but it exploded within a couple of weeks, and there were over 100. Um, but in those early days, that first core group of us that was there, it was amazing. Um, we would share... Um, I mean, I, I became the house mom pretty quick, you know, as I settled into my Mama Gilly 
role. I became the house mom and you know I love to cook for people and and so I enjoyed cooking and so probably at least once a week or so we would gather at our house. At that time we were staying in a in a condo on Calpet Bay um, right on the ocean um, on the east end of the island and um, my housemates but also others from our core group would gather for dinner a couple times a week and then we would also deliver meals uh, down to the hospital and the fire station to feed our paramedics that were on duty and also the locals that were there driving for them. Um, it was so much fun. You know, we got rock star treatment everywhere we went. As I said, they really depended on us for the economy at that time. We were making good money. We were living in this alternative universe for us because... Yes, we worked, and we worked very hard, but we also had no other responsibilities there. You know, the locals, God bless them, they would work three, sometimes four jobs just to pay their power bill. But us, we didn't have those responsibilities and expenses. We didn't have to worry about all that. Uh, and once the restaurants became open for us to go into, uh, they was limited to six at a table. Um, but that was kind of our core group anyway. Six, maybe eight of us. Sometimes we'd split into a couple tables. But our leader uh, there on the island was this giant six-foot-eight man uh, with a big personality uh, nicknamed Tree. And uh, we joked about him being dad, you know. But we would all go out in these groups and... And Tree would walk in surrounded by this group, and we got the rock star treatment. We were fat tippers. We were having the time of our lives, and it really was kind of a rock star experience. It was amazing. So those first few months um, were spent just me kind of coming into my own. Um, the birth of the COVID cut, uh, my hairstyle happened within a few days of me being on the island. I was working in the COVID unit before I moved down to the emergency department. The COVID unit was a makeshift unit that was created on the fourth floor of the hospital in a section that had been badly damaged by those hurricanes. And when we first got there, there was not even air conditioning there. So you can imagine tropical climate uh, 85 to 90 degree weather in August, 90% humidity. We're on the fourth floor of this hospital um, taking care of COVID patients. And in those days especially, my gosh, the amount of protective equipment that we had to wear just to come in and out of the unit. We had the full gowns, we had the hoods, we had the, the bonnets, the masks, the shields, it was so bloody hot. You know, those blue uh, kind of papery surgical bonnets that I'm sure that you could all picture um, is what's generally uh, included in, in the PPE, but they ran out of those, so they gave us clear shower caps to wear. And it was so bloody hot. And those shower caps, of course, were plastic, and they did not breathe. And we would get so much condensation in those bonnets and we would take ink pens and poke holes to vent. Um, my gosh, it was so hot. And after one particularly rough, exhausting, just 
so hot night shift. I got off that morning and I stopped at Walgreens, which was one of the couple of places on the island you could actually get stuff. We had Walgreens and we had Kmart. That was about it. Um, I stopped at Walgreens to get some hair trimmers and they had no hair trimmers, so I bought beard trimmers. And I went back to my condo um, that morning and out of exhaustion and created this hairstyle with my trauma shears that I used in the in the ER and uh, those beard trimmers and I had no idea if I could pull it off I didn't even care it was truly out of necessity to just not be so bloody hot and it's funny because it it didn't take long till that hairstyle was my trademark you know and still is I guess to some extent two and a half years later I'm still wearing it um, still getting comments and compliments on my hair everywhere I go it's funny, I was soon known on that island as the nurse with the haircut. Um, but yeah, Tree would walk into the bar and restaurant with us, you know, and there's the nurse with the hair and, and the big dude. And I walked into a restaurant probably, gosh, I don't know, several months after Tree had even left the island. And, and the manager there told the waitress, he said, this is one of Tree's girls, take care of her, you know. So funny, the impression that we left on those people during that time. So it wasn't all fun and games, you know. We worked very, very hard. And in those early days, uh, working in the community was simply about testing. We would go to the jail, uh, prison, uh, go into the community, go into the homes. We were COVID testing. And then ultimately, you know, we ended up doing the vaccines too. But also because it was a deployment and not just a regular travel nurse contract, uh, we, we had to be available 24-7 for the most part. It wasn't just work your 312s a week and you're done. It was you had to be pretty much ready and available uh, 24 hours a day. Now, of course, there was also a lot of rum and spirits that ran rapid on the island. And, and for the most part, uh, our company was pretty forgiving of us having a good time while we were there. Um, but there were some who really took it to an excess. And, um, and that island, we used to call it the island crazy, would creep in. And they just couldn't keep their shit together. And some people got a ticket and they got it pretty quick. On Friday evenings, we would gather for per diem, and that's kind of where we would get together, especially in those early days. It usually involved a meal and a gathering of some sort. Um, but the new people would come in. You know, we'd all gather, and that's where they'd give us our weekly cash allotment for things, and some of us would sit and watch as the new ones came in and kind of take a poll as to how long we thought they might make it before they got a ticket. We were usually pretty right. <laughs> That it was fun. Oh my God. And those islands. The beauty. I can't even describe for you. The color of blue. Of those waters. And the color of green. You know on those mountains. And the beautiful flamboyant trees. And when I transport myself back there. That's what I see. And I hear the waves hitting the sand. You know beautiful, beautiful beaches and healing turquoise waters. And we lived on St. Thomas, 
but we could hop a ferry and go to St. John, which was much more a laid-back vibe, a smaller island, um, great, great beaches. We would swim with the turtles, all in nature, you know. People talk about swimming with turtles. It's usually in some sort of a pinned-in area or, or seeing dolphins and stingrays, and we were there. It was just there. It was nature. It was beautiful. And in those early days before the tourists all came back to the island, you know, the locals would talk about the numbers of the creatures were rising because the tourists weren't there, you know, to to kind of humanize the waters. And, and it was amazing how the wildlife really took off. It was, it was just such a beautiful and amazing experience. I mean... When I talk about the island and the beauty of it, people immediately think of the geographical beauty, but it was so much more than that to me. The spirit of the Virgin Islanders is something that I cannot, I can't describe it, just like I can't tell you how glorious those beaches were. And of course there's good and bad everywhere. But the spirit, the joie de vivre of the islanders, was contagious for me. You know, I felt like I had lived my entire life just looking for somewhere to fit in. Somewhere I felt like I belonged. And I almost immediately found that on St. Thomas. Not only geographically beautiful, but so much more than that. One love is so much more than a song, you know? So much more. These people have been through hurricanes that almost destroyed their island, and much of it had never been rebuilt because they just simply couldn't afford it. But they still just lived life every day feeling blessed and grateful. And oh my God, in healthcare, you know, in the states, in the emergency rooms, we are called all kinds of filthy health names and sometimes physically attacked by our patients. But these beautiful islanders were so grateful for anything we did for them. They were not demanding. You know, I can, I can just hear, yes, nurse, thank you, nurse, whatever you say, nurse. I mean, it was that kind of thing. And much like the Navajo were, um, the islanders were pretty vulnerable to COVID because, you know, socioeconomic Basically, they also depended on the government to provide health care, although it was completely different than the res. It was the same. Island time is much like Indian time. I mean, government's slow to take care of things, and, um, and tourism's huge on island, and they depend on that for their income. But sadly, the locals are the ones that are neglected and forgotten because they're not the ones bringing in the money, you know? Good morning, good day, good afternoon, even good night. Those are all greetings that you would hear in so many ways as laid back as island life is. They also believe in manners and, and being proper. And as a Midwesterner who would say, what, when someone called my name, I was scolded severely by my coworkers until I finally got out of that. Sadly, I've kind of fallen back into it the longer I'm back in the States, but... Um, 
they explained to me how saying what was rude. It was rude to address someone that way when they called your name. So if I didn't hear something someone said, I would say, instead of what, I would say, say again. You know? And where I come from, good night, it means you're going to bed. On island after dark, that's a greeting. Hello, good night. Good afternoon. Good morning. It's common courtesy and kindness, and that is infectious. And I fell in love with the island people. There is a homeless population on island, and, you know, it's pretty rough for them. It's hot. They don't have a lot of food and water. They don't get the health care that they need. Um, I went to the homeless camp several times when I was on island, and I'll tell you more about that in a bit. But even the homeless were just in their destitution, you know, they were still just seemingly grateful for life. And they touched my heart. And um, they have a place in my heart forever. As do my crazy co-workers there at the hospital. Uh, so many close lifelong relationships were developed during my time there in the emergency department and working with the EMS there. So anyway, I digress. Uh, the first few months I was on island, you know, we were building this island family. Um, I became so comfortable there and I started to come into my own. Um, if you have listened to my previous episodes, then you've heard me describe the day that I had my epiphany on the beach um, for the first time in many, many years after taking care of my family in all its dysfunction and, and dealing with the little fires and the big fires and making sure that everyone else was taken care of. It had been so long since I had been in a world where I only had to worry about me, what I wanted, what I needed, what I felt. And so that day on the beach was an epiphany for me, and I did start coming into my own. And within a few weeks of this journey of self-discovery and healing, I felt more strong and healthy and confident than I had perhaps ever been emotionally physically spiritually I was so strong and at peace and enjoying every day um, and you know I woke I woke and part of my physical awakening was that my sexuality woke up as well. You know, I had reached the stage in my life where I didn't even care about sex anymore. I didn't care. And I just thought that's the way it's supposed to be, you know, at my age, in my early 50s. After being married for over 20 years, I just thought that that was the stage of life I was supposed to be at. That you know, this was just my life now. I had been neglected for so long, um, to no fault of my husband. 
I must say, part of it was just me, you know, because I had busied myself with everything else going on in the world. I think that part of me had shut down. Um, and my relationship had deteriorated, whether or not I was in denial about that at the time. And so here I am uh, in my newfound confidence and joy for life. And I think uh, the pendulum swung way far the other direction from the me giving everything I had of myself to take care of everyone else to this is my time, my turn. And, and that's kind of the journey that I embarked on. And I'm not proud to say, but I will admit to you that I had an affair. It was a brief affair, and it was a friend of a friend. Um, kind of a guy known to be a player, but that was okay. I wasn't looking for anything else. But my body woke up, and with my newfound confidence came attention that I don't think I ever experienced in my life. And I just gave in to it. And it was fairly short-lived, but it was amazing. And it was beautiful as it was. It was as beautiful as it was ugly, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Um, but I credit this person with my full awakening. It was almost like a romance novel in so many ways. I mean, meeting my secret lover for these rendezvous and sometimes even taking the ferry to the other island to meet him there. Spending an afternoon or a night together. As I said, he was a player. I mean, uh, it was what it was. It was definitely, <laughs> talk about raw and real, but I want to get this out. I need to describe this not only for you, but for myself. This was an incredible short-lived journey full of passion and sex and romance and enlightenment and empowerment. He was a local, he was a beautiful man, a few years younger than me. He was, as I said, known to be a player, although he was in a long distance, or not long distance, he was in a long-term relationship. But what I found in this person was the ability to let down all of my walls and my inhibitions and safely explore whatever I wanted to explore. And he had this incredible ability to make you feel like when he was with you, you were the only woman in the world. He was very attentive, he was very giving, and it was just such an incredible experience. 
And although I do have guilt and shame in the knowledge that I was married, you know, to a good man who was back home in Illinois while I was on this island um, experiencing these things, I also have no regrets. If anything, I regret that I... I developed feelings and that's ultimately what ended the relationship. You know, what I have discovered is that I am not exactly a casual relationship type person. I'm just not. I'm going to develop feelings for someone if I have a physical relationship with them. And that's not a damn thing to be ashamed of. Um, But I own that, you know. So... I got the feels, with the feelings uh, came the mind games with him, basically. It was kind of a dance of push and pull that he and I, uh, although the relationship ended um, within a couple of months, maybe less, honestly, uh, that the dancing push and pull kind of went on uh, pretty much the whole time I was on the island. Because for him, I think it was all about the chase, you know, and then once that he knew I had feelings for him, um, that took the fun out of it. But then things ended, and when I started indicating I was fine and life was going on and I wasn't interested anymore, then he'd kind of sniff around again. <laughs> I was push and pull, but I would never um, pretend to assume that he would listen to this. But to him, what I would say is thank you. Thank you for my awakening and for that experience. And I'll never forget it. Um, so, hey, I'm going to try to figure out how to patch this together because I got 25 minutes into my recording. My alarm on my phone went off and in the process of shutting it off, my recording stopped And I am not going through recording all of that again. Um, Bear with me. Uh, I hope this all comes through. I definitely need some more work in the editing arena of podcasting. Anyway, uh, so my affair ended. And I was full of guilt and shame in what I had done. And the holidays were approaching. Many of my island family, uh, my friends that I worked with, were also going home for the holidays. And so did I. Um, I remember telling um, this gentleman before I left the island that I needed to go home to remember who I am. And I meant that with every fiber of my being. I was consumed with guilt over my affair and... I needed to go home to remember who I was, the wife, the mother, the grandmother, uh, not just the island gilly, you know? And that's what I did. I went home to remember who I was. And I tried to reconnect with my husband. I was very open about my wants and my needs and my feelings. Um, I did not reveal to him about my affair. I did not want to hurt him. Um, I'm not sure that that was the right thing or not, but 
that was the stand that I took. So, but I put my all in, especially the first couple of weeks. And I feel like he did too. I think that we both really tried, but it seemed like the harder that we tried, the more clear it became to me that I just wasn't, it just wasn't there anymore. I didn't feel the same way about him. I wasn't happy in our marriage, and to be honest, I had not been for a long time. I just didn't feel that I belonged there. I was not the same woman who had left there a few months earlier. Um, we spent a lot of late nights out in the garage. Um, we had like a man cave in the garage, and we spent a lot of nights out there, you know, drinking beer, listening to music, having deep conversations, and I... I was open and honest about everything up to revealing about the affair. But I know now that he knew. He knew something. He knew something had changed me and that I was not the same person that came back. And so as my time grew closer to go back to the island, we had decided I would take 30 days at home over the holidays, and then I would return to the island. Um, he denies it now. Maybe out of self-preservation, I don't know, but uh, I'm revealing all of this to you, so why would I make it up, you know? On one of those last nights at home, he said to me, you go back to that island, you do whatever it is that you need to do, just don't tell me about it, and please don't leave me. And I think in many ways, maybe both of us thought that this was just some phase that I was going through, that maybe I could just get it out of my system, and when my time on the island ended, I could come home and be the wife and the mother that I used to be. But we would soon discover that she was long gone. So I returned to St. Thomas after the holidays, back to work, back to the grind, you know. It was different then because some of my island friend didn't, some of my friends didn't return. And those of us that did were now placed in different houses and scattered across the island. <clears throat> the COVID numbers were up. And so um, our company had declared that we could no longer have gatherings. Um, I was very lonely during those first days back on the island. Um, I was lonely for my people, but also just longing for the magic of those early days. And I've had this conversation with my friend Melly several times that those early days were truly magic and that we feel like in many ways we wasted so much time after that just trying to recapture that magic that could never be recaptured because it was the magic of that group of friends. It was the magic of those early days without all the tourists, without all the craziness of it being a huge deployment of so many people. Um, it could never be recaptured, but we all treasure it, right? So anyway, um, 
I was actually living alone at this time and I missed cooking for my crew, but what I discovered is that I could still cook, they just couldn't come to me. So I started cooking again and started delivering meals down to the medics and the locals again and they appreciated it so much, but what they, I don't think they ever understood, although I said is that it gave me more joy than it did them, you know, it meant so much to me to feel that connection with people and I did find joy in it and while my friends and I would have occasional beach days and adventures once in a while a couple of us would get together for meals but it just wasn't what it was before um, it was during this time that I connected uh, and developed a friendship with another local he worked at the hospital. He was quite a bit much younger than me, actually. But we became really hard and fast friends. And I won't lie and say that it didn't cross <clears throat> the physical line. Uh, and it was more of a situationship, I suppose. But I credit him with getting me through some of those really lonely times. You know, we had a lot of late nights sitting on the balcony, looking at the view, talking about the mysteries of life and sharing our stories with each other. And uh, it was a very unique relationship and we still are bonded to this day. Um, I'm so grateful for the time that I had with him. But ultimately, you know, nothing was gonna happen there and but I had returned to the island with this free pass that my husband had given me, but you know, it's not like I went back just on the hunt. That's not what it was about at all. The guilt and shame of what I had done was consuming me, you know? It was an emotional roller coaster ride for me. I felt like a fraud um, because I, had over the past several years through sharing my journey with my um, adult children who are going through addiction and jail and all those things, my weight loss surgery, I had become kind of a voice of inspiration and was looked up to and I knew that. My husband and I were well known and respected in our community and I just felt like such a fraud. Like, how can I be this open book, honest person and live this dual life? And it was eating at me. It was truly eating at me. <clears throat> I had been a travel nurse for several years at this point, and I had never even considered cheating on my husband in spite of having opportunity. I was married to a great and honorable man. Um, I was seemingly happy in my relationship at home. It was not a romantic relationship, so to speak, but he was my best friend. He was my partner. Um, we were parents together. We lived life together, and we were a unit. And it was just not anything that I had ever considered, that it had gone against every fiber of my being. And that crazy gilly that had existed years and years before she didn't exist anymore, you know? But the island kind of brought that crazy back out in me. And I own that, and I admit it. 
but I don't want you to think that I was just running around the island humping like a rabbit. You know, that's not, that's not at all what I was looking for, and that's not what was happening. But I do know how it sounds to people, and as I said earlier, I am the villain in my story, so I own it. So, although I was great friends um, with this young man, and still am to this day, um, that situationship ended, you know. Uh, and as time went by and I became more centered in my being, it became more clear to me that my marriage was over. You know, the calls and the texts grew less and less. I just tried to busy myself with my life there. It was during this time that I also reconnected more with the locals. I spent more time in the community. Uh, I went out much more by myself because we couldn't go out in groups, but I would still go to the local uh, places. I would go to the homeless camp. I would deliver extra meals down there. I was known as the one who would take her leftovers from the restaurant. Uh, I was always good to hand my box of leftovers to somebody waiting out there and give them a smoke or two and share a laugh. And uh, my friends would tease me about being a magnet for these people. And it's true, I am, you know. I never felt fear, not from any of what would be maybe referred to as riffraff or shady characters on island. I never felt fear from those people. It was also during this time that I would meet who I would refer to as my island man. He was a friend of a friend. I knew that he was single, unlike the former relationship that I had had who was he presented himself to be single in the beginning, although I would find soon after that he was actually living with someone. I knew that this guy was single. Um, he was a beautiful giant of a man with booming laugh. He was very charismatic. He was different than anyone I had ever known and he was sure different than what I had known um, in my relationship with my husband, you know. My husband was a great guy, very laid back, quiet, um, pretty introverted, not much to say, always just went with the flow, God bless him. Um, but this guy was very charming, very kind of in your face, charismatic. I am looking at my notes here and just taking a brief pause because I want to tell this story accurately and I don't want it just to be me reading because it's so much more than that. So let me tell you about my island man. So at this time I did have a housemate, my friend, she was a paramedic and um, through the late night porch sessions, as we called them, which entailed cocktails and conversation, I had shared my uh, story with her about my marriage, about my affair. 
about my restlessness and just desire to feel fulfilled and further explore that part of myself. And she thought of this guy and mentioned him to me. And although I had seen him around the hospital and admired the fact that he was heavenly uh, gorgeous to my eyes, uh, I hadn't even considered him in that way, but I started to think of him that way. And I got his number from her and we connected and what began was a great friendship and we had some really great conversations and you know at that time what I what I wanted or so I thought was just somebody to go out and have fun with explore the island with go out for dinner and drinks and I didn't mean to fall head over heels in love with this person. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it did. And what ensued after that was a five and a half month relationship with someone who would take me to my undoing. He was my undoing. He was so good at saying the right things and asking the right questions. And I was that perfect storm of newly awakened and knowing that I was never going to live my life anyway, but 100% open and honest and authentic. And in being open and honest and authentic with him about every part of me, what I did was 100% give him all the ammunition that he needed to use against me. And he did. I was not familiar even with the term empath as much as I am now, although that I definitely recognize that I am an empath, a giver, a healer, a fixer, a people pleaser, a codependent, depending on how you want to look at it. A term that I was not really familiar with at all was narcissist. But I can tell you now in looking back that if you were to look up empath and narcissist relationship in the dictionary, there would probably be a picture of us there. So our relationship started as most of those tales do, very hot and heavy, very all about me, very how wonderful I am, how enlightened I am, and then little 
by little once they get into your head. They start the criticisms and breaking down your spirit. And unfortunately, this is what happened. And it was an extremely toxic relationship. But you know what? I own my share in that. And it went on for way too long. Um, Melly used to say that he and I were like fire and gasoline. And she was right. We were. And that was good in many ways and bad in many ways. And it was the beginning of that addiction to like love addiction you know my my therapist would later explain to me about trauma bonds uh that was a hard pill to swallow but it was true i fell hard and fast for this this man and there were so many wonderful aspects to him so many he was a firefighter who was studying to become an EMT, creating a new career in his mid-40s, um, which I respected greatly. He was highly educated. Uh, he was well-known and I thought loved and respected all over the island. Um, a little bit of that magic of those early rock star days came back to me, you know, because everywhere we went, he was recognized. He would get hugs from little old ladies. He would get fist bumps from security guards and walking into a place on his arm, you know, me and my five foot three blonde hair, uh, rock star nurse with the COVID cut, him with his big giant six foot six, frame beautiful island man it was just um we stood out that's for sure i always felt protected when i was out with him um we would spend late nights driving all around the island listening to music talking about everything visiting the homeless camps and the less than desirable neighborhoods delivering food and supplies to people who needed it. I would listen to him interact with them about how they needed to stay off the drugs and get a job and he would try to pull some strings for them. There were so many wonderful things about him. I never saw the beauty, the true beauty of the islands until I saw it through his eyes. You know, he drove taxi for extra money, and a few times I joined him as he would take tourists around the island, and we would walk the streets, and he would tell stories of growing up there and the things that used to be there and what would go on. And it was amazing to see the islands through his eyes and to hear that. And, and every bit of that just made me fall deeper and deeper in love with him. And I was blind. I was blind. I was ignorant. And what I know now is that this relationship with him, especially when it came to the micro-criticisms and the grooming of everything, the gaslighting started, the little bits of 
withholding affection, when all of that started, it kind of triggered what had happened to me in my first marriage in so many ways. This was a form of abuse. I recognize it now. I didn't at the time. And even at the time that it ended, I was in denial. I had no idea. Um, All I knew was that he and I... It was just a mess. It was a mess. You know, I had so much guilt over my marriage. At this time, this was early spring. Um, my husband knew I wasn't happy. Ultimately, he knew that I was trying to decide what my choice would be. At this point, he did know that I had started a relationship with this man. Um, it was April and we had a friend, a close family friend who was dying of cancer. And so I took leave to go home. I needed to go home to see my friends, to be there to support my husband as we dealt with his huge loss and ultimately to make the final decision of what was I going to do, you know? What was I going to do about this marriage and about my life? I was so full of shame and guilt. And I just, even though I knew in my heart of hearts that my marriage was over, there was the knowledge that in ending my marriage, I was going to not only destroy this person that I cared so deeply for, but I would be dismantling my entire life at home. My grandson... Uh, His one main safe place was at our house with us, you know. Um, And as dysfunctional as it had been at some point, um, we were the stability for many of our family members and friends. And so anyway, I know I'm jumping and I'm sorry. Uh, I've gone rogue here. I'm not looking at any notes or anything at this point. So I went home in April, and uh, as always was tradition at this time, anytime I flew in or flew out, my husband and I would uh, have, we would meet at the little local watering hole and, and order our favorite pizza. It was my welcome home, going away meal. And that very first night back, While we're sitting at the bar, uh, kind of just discussing life in general at this point, he revealed something to me that was so shocking and so liberating at the same time. And I love how he chose to do it in public, uh, kind of a cowardly thing to do because he knew that the reaction that he would get would be minimal because we were in public. And quite honestly, when he first told me, the shock set in and uh, and I was kind of so over things anyway. But he revealed to me that 16 years earlier, during a week when I had taken the kids on vacation, he had had an affair. And all I could think of was 
number one, 16 years earlier, that was before all the bad shit happened with the kids and the drugs and the all of that. 16 years earlier, I thought I was in the perfect marriage. I thought that we were happy. 16 years earlier, I thought I was with a husband who loved and adored and respected me and placed me and our marriage above all else. And here was this man whom I had placed upon a pedestal as the world's greatest guy, as the guy that I was going to crush by ending our marriage the guy that I was struggling with all the guilt and the shame over what I had done over the last six months or eight months or whatever it was at this time. I was destroying myself mentally and emotionally over all of this. This person that I had put on that pedestal is sitting there across the table from me in front of a beer and a pizza, telling me that 16 years earlier, he had had an affair. And telling me how relieved that he was to finally be able to share that with me. Telling me that he was always going to tell me on his deathbed what he had done. And all that I could think was, you fucking coward. You were going to tell me on your deathbed why? To make your to make me feel better? No. You would get it out as your last ditch effort to get into heaven to release that guilt from your head. I was numb. I mean, at that time I I wasn't even angry or hurt as much as all that I could think of was my entire marriage for the last 16 years had been a sham. That I did not truly have the perfect marriage that everybody craved. I was not just a selfish, crazy person that was walking away from the most perfect union in the world from the greatest guy. It was not all on my shoulders. And that was the last straw for me. It was in that moment that I realized I was not the same person I had been. That obviously my marriage had not been what I thought it had been. And that it was okay for me to leave. That I could be the villain. I would be the villain. And this is the first time that other than people in our very close circle and I doubt that anyone in her, his circle is aware of it because as great of a guy as he is it was also very easy for him to play the martyr after I ended the marriage to be the poor guy whose wife went off to the island lived this crazy wild island life and destroyed the marriage you know but I, I will own that because in part it is true. Once I crossed that bridge and that knowledge and knowing that 
my wants and needs were important, that I did not have to snuff who I was out and bury her under all of life to be what everybody else expected me to be, which was the loving wife, mother, protector, and healer of all. It was that night over that pizza that I made that decision in my head. And in spite of that, I still let him convince me to go away together on a short little trip to try to see if we could save our marriage. And, oh my gosh, we got in the car and we drove to Arkansas where we had rented a cabin to spend this quality time together to reconnect. And it was a nightmare. It truly was a nightmare because he's wanting the passionate reconnection and my forgiveness and all things. And I was numb. I was so numb at that point. And it wasn't like we fought so much, but it was just... For one thing, I have my island man texting and calling me um, the entire time. In, in spite of the fact that he knew that I was at home kind of trying to deal with the situation and decide what I was going to do. Um, so I had my husband who's wanting this reconnection and I'm not feeling it at all. I have the island man connecting to me, distracting me from, you know, there were a few other things going on. Of course, my kids had their own little mini tragedies going on. And immediately when I came back to the States from the island, it was everybody else's problems again, you know? So one thing I want to clarify is I know that I just said that my husband... Oh, I'm so sorry. I accidentally kicked my phone. My husband was wanting my forgiveness, but you know what? That's not true. Because what happened was my husband confessed his affair to me but never really asked for my forgiveness but used that as a way to let me know that he could forgive me anything. That I was forgiven. That he didn't care about my affair. That he just wanted me to come home. Just come home to me. Be the wife. Be the mom. Be the same Gilly that left. I can forgive you anything if you'll just come home. But I couldn't. And so in spite of renting this cabin for, I think, a week, uh, after two days we left. And we drove back to Illinois. And I booked myself a flight back to the island. Our friend had passed. Uh, we had been through the funeral. We had tried to keep our relationship stuff just on the down low while we all went through that together. And uh, we grieved our friend. We grieved our marriage. I booked a flight back to the island. My contract was not due to pick up for like another three weeks. But I knew I had to go. I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay in that house with him another day because once that decision was made to end the marriage, I knew that staying there was only going to make things ugly because at that point, the desperation was kicking in. 
the fighting was going to start and we were going to create these huge big things that didn't need to be huge big things because ultimately we had love for each other. So I returned to the island and I secured, I rented a Jeep with my own dime. Uh, new gratitude held for the company that paid all the bills while we were there working because the month that I supported myself on island by renting a car, renting an apartment, not working, but living off my savings, uh, holy Moses was that an expensive time. But I knew that's where I needed to be. I needed the time and space between my husband and I. Um, I had made the decision that I was gonna return to that island and really honestly, I thought I would spend the rest of my life there. I had let my island man know that I was divorcing. Um, and I made it very clear to him that I was his. And from that day forward, uh, even in the midst of the toxicity that happened, I think that in my mind, in my heart, I still thought he and I would build a life there together. So as I said, there were so many good things about him, you know. Um, but time would reveal other things. I am one of those people that only wants to see the good. I am one of those people primarily, um, or not primarily, but it's important to know that because my sons have been drug addicts, because they have been in and out of jail, um, and they are both on their sober journey now and they're making their way, even though they still have their struggles, they're making their way to a better life. I have a full-hearted belief in the fact that people can change. So early in our relationship, some of my coworkers and friends brought my attention to something that I did not have knowledge of when I started to see my island man. And it was the fact that years ago, there had been um, legal problems for him that he had lived an entirely different life at one point and had been accused of some very bad things. And I remember making that decision very early on and stating to them, there were two, two thoughts, two beliefs here. Number one is that I did not believe that the man that I knew and loved was capable of doing the things that they said that he had done. And number two, if he had done those things, he had paid for them and people can change. And again, back to the, the man that I knew was never capable. He wouldn't be capable of that. But the fact remains that he had lived an entirely different life. He had been um, an important person on that island. He had an important name that carried a lot of weight. I knew that there was corruption on the island and that is definitely something that had happened and still happens today. 
And so I just thought, either way, I wasn't going to ask him about it. I wanted him to know that I had love and faith in him, that I believed in him, that I supported him. I wasn't even going to ask him about these things, and I never did. And it wasn't until shortly before we broke up um, that he finally told me his version of, of the story. Um, of course, 100% claiming his innocence. Um, and it wasn't until much later after I left the island and removed myself from him and the relationship that I could see with clarity that he probably did exactly what he was accused of, but I will leave it at that. So five and a half months of a relationship where I was, over time, meticulously alienated from my group of friends. I poured my heart and soul and most of my finances into this man, blindly, you know. Um, I became a shell of a woman, emotionally, physically, financially devastated by the time I left. That beautiful woman that came into her own months before had become beaten down again. And I will tell you, this man never, ever laid a hand on me. He never laid a hand on me. And he rarely, if ever, raised his voice to me. And when he did, it was truly 100% in reaction to me probably losing my shit on him. We broke up so many times, I can't even tell you. And I remember telling him once as we reconciled and also sitting across from my sweet Melly, my best friend, over dinner, that I'm miserable with him, but I'm more miserable without him. And so I'm just going to get back with him because I can't take it. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was so thin and anxious and this whole thing was just so toxic and you know he would be little and gaslight me and tell me it was my crazy that was doing all this you know and don't get me wrong by the end of the relationship I was probably batshit crazy he would do these things to just as I said in the beginning I gave him all of the information that he needed to manipulate me. You know? Don't leave me waiting. Don't keep me waiting because it makes me anxious. So we would have dinner plans and he would show up two hours late if he showed up at all. And then it would be me and my crazy making a big deal about it. He said that we were supposed to always just be having fun together. That that was the whole reason we got together. That I needed to plan these things. So I would plan boat days out for us. And he would cancel, usually at the last minute, just decide he wasn't going. Or even worse, he wouldn't go because he would be going to St. Croix to see his other girlfriend. In the very beginning, in our open and honest conversation, when I revealed to him that I was married, I had asked him 
if he were seeing anyone else. And he said to me, and I quote, I have a friend on St. Croix that I see from time to time. That was all he said to me about it. And it wasn't until a few months later that I would find in the midst of a fight where he blew up on me when I dared to suggest that we actually live together that he had someone on St. Croix who was very important to him. Why would I just expect that he would want to live a life with me? That I was crazy. And I have to clarify to the entire world because that's one of the things that he accused me of later is telling the world that we lived together when in fact that was not true. And it wasn't. We didn't live together. I did eventually um, leave the shared housing that was provided by my company and rent my own apartment so that we would have a place to be together. Because, of course, in shared housing, um, you weren't allowed to have overnight guests, of course, and have people hanging out that didn't work for the company, and that's understandable. You know what's funny is in our weekly meetings, and especially later on as we had Zoom meetings because of COVID, our company would actually send out warnings and advice not to get involved with Islanders. There kind of was a well-known culture of island men preying on white women primarily, especially ones who were there to work on island, making great money. Um, that this was not the place to go find your forever love, you know. And I remember hearing those messages thinking, well, they're just crazy. That doesn't pertain to me and my island, man, because we're going to be happily ever after and create this beautiful life. Oh, my God, how blind I was. It was a cocktail of a perfect storm, you know. Part of it was the fact that I had been neglected for so long and there was so much passion. Because as anyone can testify that has ever been in a relationship like this, when it is good, baby, it is oh so good. But when it is bad, it is equally as bad. I think another part of it is that I did become that abused little girl again, you know? Like the one from my first marriage that just believed it's amazing the way they manipulate your mind. Like, I, I believe that he was right in many ways. Maybe I am crazy. Maybe I do expect too much of him. Maybe I am putting too much pressure on him. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe if I would just not expect so much, then he would not be the way he is. I also think that there was a part of me that still was just filled with so much guilt and shame over my divorce. In looking back, I think that there was a part of me that didn't think I deserved better. That maybe this was my karma. Hurting my husband and tearing my family apart the way I did, maybe this was what I was supposed to endure. And you know, I always think as the narcissist makes their promises, you have me now, and I got you later. You know, let's get through this once I get 
this, I'm going to get my pay raise, and then I got you. And life's going to calm down, and I'm not going to have to study so much, or I'm not going to have to work so much. Get me through this time, and baby, our life is going to be great. Once we get through this, it's going to be amazing. Once we get through the next two weeks, you and I are going to have this great trip. We're going to, I'm going to go back to your hometown with you. I want to see where you grew up. I want to, all the things, you know, and you believe it because you want to believe it so bad. You want to believe that they genuinely care about you enough to give a fucking crumb enough to want that. But what you actually learn is that your emotional needs are nothing to them. That you are just being too needy, too emotional, too hysterical because you dare to get upset because they are having a relationship with a woman on another island. Do you want to hear how dysfunctional this got to be before the end? At some point, I actually said to him, when we got back together, I think it was at the time when I told my friend, I'm miserable with him, but I'm more miserable without him. And he and I were discussing reconciling or, you know, staying together. And I said to him, okay, I will accept St. Croix. That is what I called her, St. Croix, because that is the island that she left on. To me, she had no name. She was just St. Croix. I will accept St. Croix, but this is my island. If you're going to see her, you go there to see her. I do not want her on this island. I am the queen of this island. So if you're going to go continue that relationship, I will accept it. But it's to happen there, not here. And he agreed to that. And let me tell you, you know, his thing, I can't say now because I haven't talked to him uh, in a long time. But we did reconnect a bit last January when a friend of mine was gravely ill. And um, in those conversations, you know, he would make it seem that we never had the relationship that I thought we did, that we weren't that connected. No, this is a person who I was supporting financially, basically. I was not only paying bills for him, buying work things that he needed, and, and I own it. It was my own dumbass stupidity. You know, he did manipulate me and to keep me giving him money and doing these things for him. But it was my own dumbass stupidity and codependency and people pleasing. I handed it to him. This was a man who got to the point where he not only expected but demanded over half of my weekly cash stipends and one to $2,000 a month from me just cause. And I gave it to him. I freaking gave it to him. So, okay, I'm going to wrap this up because we need to move on from it. Uh, I've got about 10 minutes to give you in cluff notes what happened at the end. So at the end, uh, I, I brought my grandson to the island and a friend of mine and her daughter. They came for two weeks. It was fun. It was amazing. Although I wasted an innumerant amount of time with my island man that I could have been with, with my friends and my grandson. Waiting around on him to give him a ride somewhere, etc., etc. Because his vehicle was in the shop getting fixed on my dime. 
So I spent, you know, the two weeks uh, enjoying my grandson. They left the island. My island man came to visit me for their first kind of conjugal visit since my grandson had left and tells me that day that St. Croix would be coming to St. Thomas. He gave me the date that she would arrive, that she would be there for nine days and that she would be leaving the day before my birthday. So in spite of our agreement that St. Croix would keep her ass on St. Croix and not come to my island, he was now informing me in a very matter-of-fact way that St. Croix would be there for nine days, that I would need to give him his space and respect that and not communicate or contact him or shame him in some way while St. Croix was there. But she was leaving the day before my birthday and he was going to make my birthday magical to make it up to me. That he was arranging to take off work that day, that he had all these plans made and it was gonna be wonderful. And I tried, folks, I tried so hard to hang on during that nine day visit, just almost in some ways to see if the fucker would come through for me on my birthday. But ultimately, on July the 29th, my birthday is August 3rd, on July the 29th, that is the day that I refer to as the explosion. The day that I went nuclear. Because here I am, I think at that point at 112 pounds, mostly bone, full of anxiety and tension, living on Marlboro Lights and rum, which kind of, although that was his greatest bitch about me, was also his greatest asset for me. It's kind of the way he liked to keep me. Because then it was easier for him to talk about how fucking crazy I was, you know? He and I lived in this toxic dance of me begging after him like a puppy, throwing all my money and all my love at him, just praying to God that at some point it will be enough to keep him and him just take, 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 take and only giving me promises and crumbs when he felt like he absolutely needed to. So we're at the end of St. Croix's visit to the island and I happen to look at Facebook and there I see a picture of my island man standing to the side with his hands in like a gratitude or a prayer pose, wearing the $6,000 worth of gold chain and bracelet around his neck and his wrist that I had been paying for, for him. On the couch behind him, his wallet stuffed full of the $2,500 cash that I had just given him days prior. Next to the iPad that I had bought for him. And the quote said something about living the life. And it was in a hotel. And he was with St. Croix in a hotel and took a picture of how great life was in front of all the shit that I had paid for and the cash that I had given him. And I lost my shit. I went nuclear and I called him out on Facebook in front of God and everybody. And I lost my shit. <laughs> 
And that is where I will leave you today. Um, when we come back the next time, we will talk about uh, my ending, the end of my time on the island, my return to the U.S., the dark night of the soul, as I like to refer to it, although that term is horribly overused. But uh, I'm going to lay the rest of it out there for you. I'm sorry if this seems scattered, and I pray to God I can patch these two uh, clips together to form one episode. I love you all. Thank you for listening. I'm getting peace from this, and you know why? This story is played in my head for three nights running. I'm piecing it together, trying to get it together to post to you. And the two other chapters I posted before this, I can't tell you the release that I got from that after just speaking my truth. I will leave you on this note. Ironically, this line was used by my island man in the very beginning of our relationship when I explained to him that I was married, that I didn't think my marriage could be saved, but that I was going to be 100% open and honest and authentic and blah, blah, blah. And it's funny how that line came from his mouth and there was no sincerity in it at all, I'm sure. But he said to me, I have never seen you more beautiful than when you are in the reality of your own truth. And fucker, it might have been a line for you. But it is my reality and my truth and my story and I'm sharing it. You're not a horrible person, sir. You do have some horrible qualities. I wish you nothing but love and light, and I forgive you. And I'm moving on. Unfortunately, part of my moving on is telling my story. And as they say, you tell your story. If they wanted to be seen in a better light, they should have behaved better. That's it for today, folks. I love you all. See you next time on Keeping It Real.